Yeah, thank you, Zephaniah, for reading God's word today. Genesis chapter 2 is where we're going to be at. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to just anchor ourselves there. I want to begin by sharing a short passage I read out of a book recently. Um, There's this book. It's called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, which is just an epic title, right? The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And so there's uh, this pastor's name's John Mark Comer. He's one of those cool guys that has three names. Like, you know you're at a whole new level when your name is three names. Anybody think I should change my name to three names? Zachary Russell Dunkley. I mean, I think our church would grow double overnight if I did that. So it's not what I came to say. Here's how he starts his book. He starts by sharing a story of his friend named John Ortberg. Now, John Ortberg, especially in the 90s, really came to be this one of the leading pastors at one of the leading churches in the whole entire nation. And, um, and, and John Mark is talking with John Ortberg. And John Ortberg tells the story of his own experience of hurry. And he talks about how one day um, he called up his friend, Dallas Willard, who is kind of more of a mentor, a spiritual father. And John Ortberg, who was frankly feeling quite hurried, quite busied, quite exhausted from the pace of his life and the pace of his ministry. And he asks this question, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? A question that was certainly rooted in his faith. And basically what John was asking Dallas was, what do I need to do? This is not working. What do I need to do to, to become the me I want to be? And Dallas waited a moment to answer. And here's, was, here was his answer. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And John said, okay, that's that's actually really good. I might want to write that down. You might want to write that down. He said, okay, what else is there? Give me another one. And Dallas said, there is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life in our day. I wonder if any of that resonates for you. Hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual lives today. Um, In his book, um, John Mark mentions this survey, this research study that was done. It was done um, at Charleston Southern University of over 20,000 Christians who did this survey. And here's what they found. Busyness was one of the top, the major distractions from the spiritual life. And because of technology, we know this, because of our phones, our computers, but namely our phones, which are probably at your hand or in your pocket, somewhere near you. God knows you didn't leave them at home because what are you going to do? Because of our phones... We literally can work anywhere. And so we work everywhere. We work all the time. We don't work just in the office. We work from the bedroom. We work from the kitchen. We work from that chair, that couch. 
We work when we're putting our kids to bed sometimes. I know you don't do that. You probably, some of you, maybe even worked this morning. And so what we have developed is this culture of hurry, this culture of hustle, this culture of busyness, this culture of burnout. And, and let's be clear here. I think this is helpful. There's, there's more than one kind of busyness, Right? There's a kind of busyness in which you have your tasks that you need to do today. There's a kind of busyness in which you've got to work from the day, from the moment your work day begins all the way till the end of your work day. But then there's a different kind of busyness. A kind of busyness where you have more to do than time allows. You've put more on your schedule. You've put more on your to-do list than you actually can complete in a day. So what do we do? Instead of scaling back the to-do list to match the time that we have, we just say, I'll just do it faster. I'll just do it more effective. I'll just do it more efficiently. I'll just be way more hurried all throughout the day. And then if you're like me, you get to the end of the day and you were super hurried, you were super disciplined, and you still got three more to-do list tasks left that just kind of haunt you for the rest of the evening. Does that happen to anybody? And then you start the next day, you're already over busy, you're already over the top to-do list, and you've got three other things that you didn't finish the day before. And here's what happens, guys. Here's what happens. We, I think we know this. We certainly feel this. It's not that we just have a busy work life. It's not that we just have busy schedules. That busy work life, that busy schedule leads to busy hearts, burned out hearts, tired hearts, exhausted souls. And I wonder how many of you, just ponder this question for a moment. How many of you come in here feeling a little bit exhausted, a little bit busied, a little bit hurried. Maybe even there's this low-grade anxiety that you've just kind of learned to live with. I wonder how many of you, that's you. What do we do about this? We are in this sermon series called Spiritual Rhythms. How how do we create rhythms to grow into godliness? And let's just be honest. Busyness, hurriedness is not godliness. I've found that the, the worst moments of me being a parent, of me being a husband, of me being anything, my worst moments are when I'm hurried and when I'm busy. Does anybody just want to seep in an amen there? Does, does that resonate with any dads in here? Amen. Just a few of you. Okay. All right. Any other people want to just moms? Anybody? Amen. If your worst moments are when you're busy and hurried. Amen. Thank you. I just wondered if I was the only person here. You got your masks on. It's hard to tell whether you're tracking with you, me or not. Some of you are like, man, I just... I only work three hours a day. It's no big deal. I'm unhurried. Probably not any of you. So here's what's great. God gives us an antidote. He gives us a kind of antidote to keep that hurried, keep that busy, keep that burned out in check. And here is one of the antidotes. The Sabbath. 
the Sabbath. So today, I want to talk to you about how the Sabbath can be a rhythm that can really be an antidote to that hurried heart that you have or that burned out busyness that you feel. And so I I want to do two things here. I want to start by just making um, four short observations from Genesis chapter 2 about the Sabbath. And in these four observations, I'm going to answer two questions. What is the Sabbath? Just like, okay, what is it? Um, What does the Sabbath do? So two observations for each, very real short, real concise. And then we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about what does a what should the Sabbath look like? What should it look like? And when you look at not just Genesis, but all of Scripture, Sabbath really looks like four intentional things. Now, I didn't come up with these things myself. They're in Scripture. There's been a lot written on the Sabbath in recent decades. And so these are all things that I gleaned. I I brought three books with me because there's so much more about the Sabbath, I could say. And so if you're like, oh, that was so good. I want to learn more. Here's three books that uh, are incredible. One, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. I've got the ebook version of that, so that's not one of them. You should get it. You should read it. The Rest of God. Uh, read this one twice. Um, the, this one, Ordering Your Private World. Fantastic. And then the best for last, I think this should be required reading for every single Christian. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. All amazing books, all touch on Sabbath and things around that. Okay, let's start with some observations. What is the Sabbath? When you look at Genesis chapter 2, observation number one would be this. Sabbath is a literal 24-hour day. It says it right here. The Sabbath is a day. The Sabbath is a day. It's a 24-hour day. Genesis 2, verse 2. And on the seventh day. Everybody say seventh day. Seventh day. As in like a day, right? On the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day. Three times. Seventh day, seventh day, seventh day. So here, listen. The very first place we probably should start is this. Sabbath is a day. It's not just a mindset. It's not just an attitude. I'm not sure you can even have the mindset or have the attitude if you don't have a day where there's time and space to go. So Sabbath is a day. It's a 24-hour day. And it's interesting, in in the scriptures here, the day. When does the day begin? The evening. Um, Side note, I am not going to pretend that I'm just acing the test and all of this stuff. As I was preparing the sermon this week and the weeks prior for this, I became very, very convicted. And, and it was something where I was, I was kind of doing the Sabbath. I was really good at not doing ministry work on my Sabbath, but I wasn't necessarily good at the whole resting and delighting and worshiping that we're going to look at here in a moment. 
But he, here's what I found is the power of starting in the evening. And so this week I got real intentional about the Sabbath. I was like, I'm preaching on this. I better, you know, start living it a lot better than I have been. I'm just going to be honest. I'm not there yet. And so we started our Sabbath in the evening. And what a game changer in this 24-hour day. So that's observation number one. The Sabbath is a literal 24-hour day. Observation number two. Sabbath is a rhythm that God builds into the fabric of creation. Think about that for a moment. God builds the Sabbath day into the fabric of creation. In fact, in Exodus 20, when God is commanding the Israelite people to keep the Sabbath, his reasoning for it, the why behind the Sabbath. So if any of the Israelites were like, why do we need to keep the Sabbath? God tells them Exodus 20 verse 11, it says, for in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Why should we keep the Sabbath? It's built in to the fabric of our universe. A story that John Mark tells in his book is how basically every society in all of human history has kept this seven-day rhythm work cycle. And there's only really one time that could be pointed out where they tried to do something different than the seven days. And it was France. I forget what time period it is. I think it was right around um, the French, French Revolution. And they said, let's do a 10-day rhythm, 10-day work cycle. This way, it'll up productivity, and what ended up happening is depression and suicide skyrocketed. And the effectiveness and getting things done, productivity plummeted. Um, one poet says, when you go against the universe, you, when you go against the grain of the universe, you get splinters. It... This is built within the fabric of the universe. I love Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. The Sabbath is a day where our God, our shepherd says, it's time for you to lay down in green pastures. I'm sorry, Zach, that I'm asking you not to work and not to hustle and giving you this gift of laying down in green pastures, but it's time. Two more observations. These have to do with what the Sabbath does. Sabbath gives life. When you practice the Sabbath, it gives life. It's interesting. It says, so God blessed the seventh day. Now, when you become a student of scripture and you study the creation narrative, God creates all of these different things, but he only blesses three of the things. He only blesses three of the things. The first things he blesses is the animals. And what is the nature of the blessing? He says, be fruitful and multiply. So, so literally, God blesses the animals, be fruitful and multiply. And the nature of the blessing is give life, go and give life. And then he creates Adam and Eve. And it says he blesses them. And right after it says he blesses them, the nature of the blessing is be fruitful and multiply, which literally means go and produce life. And then he blesses the seventh day. 
Doesn't tell us the nature of the blessing, but you and I are students of Scripture and we read the whole story and go, oh, it was about giving life for the animals. It was about giving life for humanity. Maybe what God is saying is that the Sabbath gives life. And even Jesus taught this. Jesus healed on the Sabbath often. And one of the things that he says on the Sabbath day when people are challenging him about healing, he says, what is lawful on the Sabbath? To give life or to take it? In other words, Jesus is saying Sabbath is a day that gives life. Fourth and final observation before we talk about what it looks like. Sabbath is more than a day. It becomes a way of living life. Walter Brueggemann, famous writer, theologian, he says this. People who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's amazing how keeping the Sabbath real strictly this week set me up to just feel so much more fresh as I begin this week. It's kind of like when you come back from a vacation, right? You're so fresh. And then at the end of the work week, you're like, where's that vacation I needed again? It's called Sabbath. Sabbath, it gives us life for the rest of the week. Um, Let's look at what does the Sabbath look like? There are four things that a Sabbath should have in it. Your Sabbath day should look like this. First, it should involve stopping. Second, it should involve resting. Third, delighting. And fourth, worshiping. A Sabbath is not a Sabbath if you don't have all four of those things. And kids, I put this in your packets. Maybe you're already working on this. And adults, maybe you want to play along. We're going to get to this part of delighting where a Sabbath is a day in which you delight. You do things that you enjoy. You do things that bring life to you. And so kids, in your packet, I want you to draw a picture of your very favorite things you like to do. Or how about the very favorite things you like to eat or drink on the Sabbath. And show mom and dad, and you will probably do every single one of those today. Or not. So, let's take these one at a time. If you and I are going to start practicing Sabbath, here's where it needs to start. It starts with stopping. When you take the word Sabbath in Hebrew, it's Shabbat. Let's just say that word together. Shabbat. That's the Hebrew word for Sabbath. It literally means stop. Stop working. Stop thinking about work. Stop trying to be productive. Stop trying to keep yourself from being bored. And so you get on your phone and you just consume, consume, consume. Just stop. The Sabbath is a day in which you stop. Here's what God said to the people in Exodus 20. Six days you shall labor. So, hey, work. Work six days. Get things done. Do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath. It's a Shabbat. 
to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. It is a day in which we stop. It is a day where you and I accept our limitations. I wonder if this is the hardest part about keeping the Sabbath for you. You're like, I can rest. I, I sure can delight too. Worship? Yeah, that's not, I, I can do that. But you want me to stop? You, you, hold up. No email all day? No sending, no receiving, no even thinking about my work. None of that. You know, one of the things we do here at the Mission Church is for all of our staff members, every seven years that they work here, they get a sabbatical. So it's like the ultimate Sabbath. And they get this good chunk of time off. And I was blessed by you guys. I got my sabbatical a few years ago. And every single person, so I was preparing for my sabbatical, and I reached out to all these different pastors who had taken sabbaticals. I said, tell me, what, what, what do I need to do? How can I prepare for my sabbatical? Every single one of them said the same exact thing. Be prepared with how painful it's going to be. You will start your sabbatical and you will be forced to stop. If your elders did a great job, if your staff did a great job, they won't even let you text them, email them, or any of that. One of our staff members is like this. I got in trouble because I went to a barbecue that our community group leader was leading and I wasn't supposed to be there. Thank you, Brooke. That was good. Actually, that was very good. But, but here's where I was going. The first month of my sabbatical would have been a dream for anyone. My in-laws have a place in Arizona. Have you been outside lately, guys? Arizona. My whole family. And the way that we build out our sabbaticals is three months. And the first month is like, you don't do anything. Month two, month three, you can start thinking and praying and, and pursuing and, and, and working on your craft and ministry. But that first month, you just breathe. And I start my sabbatical in Arizona with a pool with my beloved children, 80 degree weather. And it was miserable. Because I didn't know how to stop. Most of you will want to give up on doing Sabbath because it will be too painful for you to stop. And it might take you six months of just striving to do Sabbath before you get to the point where you can get on that Saturday or Sunday, whatever your Sabbath is, and you can just stop. This is so hard for us because it means we have to accept our limitations. It means that we say no to a lot of things. This is hard. Part two of Sabbath. First, it means we stop. Second, we rest. What does Genesis 2 verse 2 say? And on the seventh day, God finished his work. That's interesting. I wish I had time to talk about it. Short little note though. He finished his work. The loop was closed. Okay? 
Some of you, you get to your Thursday or Friday, the end of the week, and there's two or three things you didn't finish, and you just think to yourself, oh, it's okay, I'll tackle that sometime this weekend. And then you don't sleep right for the next two days because it's on your mind. No, he's done. He's finished. He kicks that work out to Monday. He's finished. And what does it say? He rested on the seventh day. God rested. God. God rested. Does God need to rest? No, he doesn't. He just needs you and I to learn how to do it. And so he models it for us. A Sabbath is not a Sabbath. If all you do is stop, you must also rest. So here's what this means. It means that the Sabbath is not a day for you to get ahead on the week and plan out your week. The Sabbath is not a day where you run your errands, where you knock out your to-do list, where you do the chores. The Sabbath is not today where you check your email or spend two hours scrolling through Facebook. uh, Sabbath is also not a day in which you binge watch three hours of your favorite TV show because no one watches three hours of TV and at the end of it goes, I just feel so good in my heart and my soul right now. It is a day in which you rest. It is a day where you rest physically, so maybe take a nap. It is a day in which you rest emotionally, so maybe you need to burn off and blow off some steam, and so maybe you go for a hike or a run. It's a day in which you rest spiritually. I love what Mark Buchanan in his book, The Rest of God, he says this. Without rest, we miss the rest of God. The rest he invites us to enter more fully so that we might know him more deeply. It's a day in which we have the freedom to just lean hard Into God. It is a day in which we've been invited to take hold of Psalm 46, where it says, Be still and know that I'm God. It is a day where we really, really take heart and take hold of Jesus' promise of rest that He gives in Matthew. 11. I, I'm not sure any teaching on the Sabbath is good without reading this verse. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It is a day where we can rest spiritually. It is a day where we have been given the time and the space to lean into Jesus and to rest in him. To lean into Jesus and remind ourselves that he has saved us from all of our sin. To remind ourselves of the promises of the gospel that nothing can separate us from the love of God. It is a day and a space and a place in which we can rest in Jesus so deeply. 
And a word of caution. Please do not mistake rest for escapist behaviors. Some of us are so restless that we'll start our Sabbath and we're like, I, I, I don't, I, my mind is so overwhelmed, I can't even think. All I can do is just turn on a show and watch. Has that ever happened to you? Maybe at nighttime, you get in bed and you're like, I'm, I'm, I, I can't even rest right now. I just have to put on something mind-numbing. That is a sign you need the Sabbath. So take this day to rest, not escape, but to rest physically, emotionally, spiritually. Here's a third part. Sabbath is not Sabbath if you don't delight. It says that God blessed the Sabbath day. That word blessed, it literally has to do with this idea of happiness or delight. In fact, there's other places in scripture that talk about the Sabbath as a delight. And so here's a good place to start. Make a list of your very favorite things to do that just give you life. Is it going for a walk? Is it gardening? Is it mowing your lawn? Is it chopping wood? Is it none of those things I just said? Is it going for a run, a bike ride? That's what it is for me. For my daughter, it was a dance party, family dance party. Which ended up being pretty epic because it led to Melissa teaching our son how to dance. Which, I mean, she's a lot better than I am. But at some point it's like, all right, we might need to get a real instructor in here. It's a day in which you go play football outside with your kids. Or at least that's what my son would tell me needs to happen. It's a day in which maybe you eat the best food and drink the best drinks. There's dessert involved. Kids, is there dessert involved? I heard one kid go, yeah, yeah, that's, that's the preacher preach. What do you delight in? That, that, that's what the Sabbath ought to be, a day in which we delight. We do our favorite things. It's interesting. It says that God blessed the day and he made it holy. He made it holy. He made it separate. This is the first time this word holy shows up in the whole Bible. And it's to describe the Sabbath. He made it holy. This is where we get our English word holiday. I heard one um, writer put it this way. The Sabbath is a day in which we reenact holidays. So what do you do on your holidays? You do your favorite stuff. You eat the best food. You spend in time with your favorite people, hopefully. But make the Sabbath look like a holiday, maybe. And here, finally, it's stopping, it's resting, it's delighting, it's worshiping. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, that, and this is when God is instructing the second generation of Israelites 
about the Ten Commandments. And he gives them the commandment to keep the Sabbath. And he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. What is God telling the people? He's saying the Sabbath day is a day in which you sit back and you contemplate, you remember what God has done for you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and I rescued you. So don't go back to that slavery by working every single day like you used to. It's a day in which you praise and thank and make much of God for what he's done for you. It's a day where you and I look back and go, okay, I am not a slave to my sin. I'm not a slave to myself. I am a son. I am a daughter of God. You were made to worship God. Did you know that? You were created to worship God. Just like a watch was created to tell you what time it is. You were created for the purpose of worshiping God. And so the Sabbath is a day in which we do what we were created to do. Maybe more intentionally. Maybe more deeply than ever before. It's a day where we worship. You were created to worship God. Your soul is at complete Rest when you completely worship God. The more fully you worship God, I'm telling you, the more fully you will rest. When's the last time you were pouring your heart and soul out in worship to God and felt anxious or overwhelmed? It's usually the place in which we feel most free, most rested. And so... I think that's one of the reasons why Sunday for most of us is the best day to take a Sabbath. Letting your day begin by gathering together with your brothers and sisters in Christ and worshiping God together. Not just in song, but in heart and mind. So let's conclude with two objections. Pastor, the season of life does not allow me to. I've got kids, being a mom, being a dad, full-time job. I can't do it. Okay, here's what I'd say. Let's not idealize the Sabbath here. The Sabbath is not a day where we get to go to the spa for an afternoon. The Sabbath is not a day, guys, where we get to go on a six-hour hike by ourselves alone. Now, maybe your spouse will give you the gift of that every so often, but let's not idealize it. As if it's a day we get to go off by ourselves and do whatever we want. No, 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 no. It's a day in which we stop, we rest, we delight, we worship. And we probably got to change some diapers, some of you. We probably got to make some food and put it on the table to eat. Probably got to discipline our children at some point. But that shouldn't stop you from pursuing the Sabbath. Or the last uh, objection might be this. Well, isn't that the Old Testament? Isn't that a law? Why do we need to follow that law? And, and here's what I think maybe we'd respond. We'd say, okay, which of the other nine commandments are we going to do without? Like, thou shalt not murder. Is that one on the table to say goodbye to? Thou shalt not lie. This is the only commandment we, we've seemed to go, yeah, let's not do that one anymore. 
And I think the, the, the best response of all is this, what Jesus said. What did Jesus say about the Sabbath? Man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath is a gift, friends. It's a gift. It's a gift to rest in God. It's a gift to delight. It's a gift to, to, to worship. It's a gift to give yourself permission to stop. And so here's a word of application. I want you to do two things. One, I want you to just make a decision. Are you going to do it or are you not going to do it? Don't leave here going, well, we'll see what happens. Decide right here, right now, if you're going to do it. And then decide what time you're going to do it, how long it's going to last. Make a decision today. And then secondly, remember our rule of life. Those of you uh, online and those of you in person here, if you don't have the physical one, you can find it um, on our website under worship guides. Grab that rule of life and there's a page for, for your relationship with God and there's a section about Sabbath. And just have fun. Play with it. Enjoy it. And, and here, here's what you'll find is that you will, you will live out your Sabbath and, and then the next week you'll go, oh, I think I'll do this differently. I think I'll crock pot a meal instead this time. I think we'll definitely do the, the dance party again. And our kids would say, let's do ice cream instead of hot chocolate this time. But, but, but just try it. And see if it does not act as a kind of resistance to your hurried and busy soul. See how God is able to use this incredible day to bring down that busy heart and soul that so many of you are trying to get rid of. Let's pray. Gracious Father, thank you for this gift of Sabbath. Help us to see it for what it is, a gift. And thank you, Jesus, that you are the ultimate Sabbath rest. (laughs) The Sabbath is only as incredible as that last piece, worshiping. Where we worship you, Jesus. We make much of you, Jesus. We remind our hearts and our souls that as busy and weary as we might become, you give us the rest of all rest. You give us rest from our sin, rest from our shame. You give us rest in you. Father, would you take what was spoken today and, and, and just speak to each and every heart what they needed to hear and how they need to apply. Pray this in your name. And everybody said?